Hello, Montana. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you. It'll be a lot of fun. Over the past couple of years, Montana has seen quite a lot of President Donald J. Trump. He creamed his opponents here in 2016, but was back with a vengeance for the midterm elections, holding four rallies in five months, from Billings clear across the state to Missoula. But I am thrilled to be back in big sky country. Trump was here stumping for Republican U.S. Senate candidate Matt Rosendale and attacking his opponent, Democratic incumbent and dirt farmer John Tester. From the Rocky Mountains to the Great Plains, the people of Montana love our country, love our country so much. Senator Tester had denounced one of Trump's cabinet picks, and the president was thirsty for revenge. He even called on Tester to resign. It all felt a bit like a congressional episode of The Apprentice. You're fired. Despite Trump's best efforts, Montana went ahead and rehired Senator Tester for a third term. Personally, I like to focus on what's going on in my neck of the woods and leave the political circus in our nation's capital to those with thicker skins and a better sense of humor. But this time, I couldn't ignore it. Because in addition to President Trump's presence hovering over Montana, he's also been making a lot of noise about something very close to my heart and literally in my backyard, Superfund. We have done tremendous work on Superfunds. It started with Scott Pruitt, Trump's first boss of the Environmental Protection Agency, declaring that cleaning up hazardous waste sites is a priority for the administration. Pruitt told Fox News. And and these sites have been on that national party list for decades, and there's just been a lack of urgency, a lack of response by this agency to do some of the most... Next, EPA formed a special task force and made a snazzy promotional video about it. The Superfund task force was set up in May 2017 to refocus and revitalize the Superfund program. Then, out of more than 1,300 Superfund sites across the country, the new EPA handpicked just two dozen and targeted them for, quote, immediate and intense attention. The monster mining and smelting sites in Butte and Anaconda, Montana, made their shortlist. All of a sudden, the EPA brass started coming around and saying things like, We're trying to get back to the basics of the mission of the EPA. And part of that, a very important part, is getting the Superfund sites cleaned up around the country. And the sites here in in this state, these sites that I'm, I'm viewing today, have been languishing for far too long. When the new EPA bosses began beating the drum on Superfund and then actually showing up here and pressuring the Superfund parties to get to a final deal, I was kind of surprised and excited. Like, who doesn't want to see these er super-fund sites cleaned up already? But then I remembered who was calling the shots. Environmental protection, what they do is a disgrace. Every week they come out with new regulations. They make it impossible. Who's going to protect the environment? We'll be fine with the environment. We can leave a little bit, but you can't destroy businesses. During his reign, President Trump has radically transformed the Environmental Protection Agency. And together we will make America wealthy again. That's when I got nervous. We will make America strong again. And began to wonder, exactly what kind of example is this EPA trying to make out of Butte's toxic mess? And above all, we will make America great again. Thank you very much, Montana. Can they really make Butte America great again? I'm Nora Sachs. Welcome to Richest Hill, a podcast about the past, present, and future of one of America's most notorious Superfund sites, 
from Montana Public Radio. Richest Hill is supported by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Family owned, operated, and argued over since 1980. Proud supporter of independent thought, whether it's online, over the air, or in a bottle. More at SierraNevada.com. Last time, we let the cat out of the bag and told you that recently, Butte Superfund parties did reach a very big deal, one that will clean up the mining city forever. And it comes with a lot of bells and whistles, like a 120-acre park that a lot of residents are really thrilled about. That sounds like good news, and I hope it is. But as someone who lives right in the heart of a Superfund megasite, lately I've been experiencing some cognitive dissonance. Honestly, I haven't known how to square the EPA's cheerleading on Superfund with the Trump administration's overall track record on the environment, and whether all the action we're seeing in Butte, Montana is the Superfund exception or the rule. If we really want to understand what's happening here and why, we're going to have to zoom out and look at the bigger picture. So today, Richest Hill goes to Washington and back again. This is Episode 8, The Art of the Superfund Deal. Full disclosure, while I feel very lucky to call Montana home, I'm no stranger to Washington, D.C. I grew up 12 miles outside the nation's capital, in Rockville, Maryland, to be exact. Yep, that one. To cope with being a teenager in the suburbs, I became a devout environmental activist. And while I learned a lot about urban sprawl and old-growth forests, I don't recall hearing much about toxic chemicals or old industrial waste sites from my friends, at school, or at home. How's it going, Mom? Going well, honey. How are you? That's my mom, Judy. She still lives in the area, and she's pretty tuned in. So I cold called her on Zoom to ask if she's aware of any Superfund sites nearby. I don't know that there is. I'm assuming there is not one within several miles of the house. The only environmental issue that's been brought to my attention is radon. And I had our house tested for radon when we first bought it, and it was clear of that. She's right. The closest one I can find is a USDA research facility in the next county over. Coming from a white, middle-class family, that's not luck, that's privilege. According to the EPA, more than 50 million Americans live within three miles of a Superfund site, and low-income people of color are disproportionately affected. This is a widespread environmental justice issue that hurts communities from coast to coast. So before we zoom in on what's going on with America's hazardous waste cleanup program right now, I think it's critical to understand the backdrop. So real quick, let's take a crash course in what the EPA has been up to under President Donald Trump. At the same environmental leadership speech he gave at the White House, where he said, Here, we have done tremendous work on super funds. Trump also remarked, From day one, my administration has made it a top priority to ensure that America is among the very cleanest air and cleanest water on the planet. We want the cleanest air. We want crystal clean water. And that's what we're doing. At first blush, his message is an echo of another legendary Republican president. 50 years ago. Clean air, clean water, open spaces. These should once again be the birthright of every American. If we act now, they can be. Believe it or not, that was Richard Nixon during his State of the Union address in 1970. Back in those days, 
Rivers slick with oil were catching on fire. Springs were going silent. And L.A. and New York City were choking to death on smog. Business as usual was killing America the Beautiful. And there was heavy public pressure to do something about it. So President Nixon established the Federal Environmental Protection Agency. Like it says right on the label, the EPA is tasked with protecting human health and the environment. With overwhelming bipartisan support, Congress passed and Nixon signed some of our bedrock environmental policies, like the Clean Air and Clean Water Acts, into being. But when it comes to protecting our planet, greenish rhetoric is where any parallels between Nixon and Trump start and end. On the campaign trail, the Donald was really upfront about his feelings towards the EPA. Department of Environmental Protection. We are going to get rid of it in almost every form. We're going to have little tidbits left, but we're going to take a tremendous amount out. Since he took office, instead of abolishing the agency outright, he's just upended it. All along, he's vowed to reform or roll back what he refers to as unnecessary regulations. We're doing them by the thousands, every industry. And we're going to have safety, we're going to have clean water, we're going to have clean air. But so many are unnecessary and so many are job-killing. We're getting rid of the bad ones. Once he got elected, Trump was on a mission. First, just a couple of months after taking office, the president signed a major executive order. This is former Energy Secretary Rick Perry at the ceremony. We're taking another step, a great step in breaking the restraints that have become burdens. This executive order is a rejection of the belief that the path forward on energy is through additional federal regulations. The order reversed pretty much all of Obama's work on climate change at the EPA. And it set in motion a barrage of rollbacks, all with some clear-cut goals. To create American jobs and to grow American wealth. Then it was a full court press. President Trump is ending Obama's signature environmental policy that limits carbon emissions from power she plants that burn coal. It is repealing It is getting rid of regulations of on wetlands. clean water. It's the third major step to roll, roll back, back on EPA. Right? Donald Trump has rolled back. Another major rollback of his rollback requirements on gas and oil sites. To Believe it or not, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, is behind this plan. It would reverse Obama. When it comes to the air we all breathe, the administration acts the clean power plan scrapped Obama-era fuel standards for cars, and jettisoned standards for methane emissions from the oil and gas industry. As for that crystal clean water the president was talking about, EPA is also weakening key parts of the Clean Water Act. And that's just scratching the surface. While the nation is focused on coronavirus, the White House is pressing on with enormous changes to environmental policy. Now, past and current leaders of the Trump EPA will argue that they're not upending or abandoning the agency's mission at all. This is former administrator Scott Pruitt. This paradigm that we live within today, that if you're pro-energy, you're anti-environment, if you're pro-environment, you're anti-energy, is something that I think is just a false narrative. We, we can do better than that. In fact, this country has shown for decades that we can grow our economy and be a good steward of our air, land, and water, and we need to get back to that. Uh, Pruitt's stance is pretty predictable, given that in his former life, he was the Attorney General of Oklahoma, known for his reputation as a champion of the energy industry. During his tenure as a public prosecutor, Pruitt sued EPA 14 times. 
for his efforts, he was rewarded. Uh, Fox News alert, and we are told that the U.S. Senate has, uh, has confirmed or is about to confirm Scott Pruitt to be head of the EPA. Scott Pruitt didn't last very long at EPA. In 2018, after less than two years on the job, he resigned from his position in a tornado of ethics scandals, including, but not limited to, Chick-fil-A, private jets, a soundproof booth, old mattresses, and, unforgettably, moisturizer. The Washington Post reports Pruitt ordered agents to drive him to several locations to look for a particular kind of moisturizing lotion that's offered at Ritz-Carlton hotels. So how much do D.C. politics actually matter in a scrappy mining town out west? And hold on just a sec. How weird is it to have your city's environmental destiny in the hands of Donald Trump? The man's complete incompetent fool. How can he possibly run a country? Are you kidding? He couldn't even keep a TV show on TV. That's blues-loving, sheetrock-slinging, Butte and lifelong Democrat Kevin Cook. We're in Butte, Montana. My name's Kevin Cook, and I'm a retired carpenter, and I run a music store. A retired union carpenter who right now is helping renovate the upstairs of the historic Carpenters Union Hall. Built in 1906, it's a living monument to Butte's status as the Gibraltar of American labor unionism in the early days of underground mining. But it needs some TLC. The city's labor history is one of the reasons why it remains a liberal bastion. A mile-high, mile-deep, blue island floating in a sea of red. In 2016, while most of Montana was jonesing for Republican Donald Trump, in Butte-Silverbow County, Democrat Hillary Clinton crushed by nearly 15 points. Kevin remembers that when Trump won the election... It was like one of the worst nightmares I'd ever woke up to. I knew absolutely no one that voted for him and he won. I, yeah, I just didn't understand it. So when it comes to Superfund, Kevin says he cares about the cleanup Butte's about to get, but he's even more worried that the Trump EPA will try to claim it as a victory. There's no way that they had a thing to do with it. The three years is one-tenth of the time if it's been 30 years. How could they possibly claim credit for that? It's like a guy coming in at the end of the ball game and shooting a basket and making the one basket that he shot. Did he win the game? No. For a different perspective, I ventured back to the Carpenters Union Hall on a recent Saturday night to talk to another Butte institution, Sean Rocks, a.k.a. The Metal Man. Oh, yeah. Coming to you live and in color from Granite Street, the greatest city in the whole wide world, beautiful Butte, Montana. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Metal Shop Radio. Rocks is a DJ on the community oh, yeah. radio station. Sean Rocks. Rockso on the radio. Rocky doodle-doo. Which broadcasts from the first floor. The night we talked, he showed me his brand new tattoo, featuring Butte's iconic mountaintop statue of the Virgin Mary, hugging all four members of the band Kiss. So when it comes to hometown pride... I probably got the most, just like I'm the biggest Kiss fan. Nobody can love him more than me. More than I love him. I mean, that love is so immense that nobody can love that big. Same goes for this town. As for politics, Rox's views are just as hardcore, but a little more complicated. So in general, how would you describe your political views or affinities? Not Republican. Like a lot of Montanans I've met, Rocks, who's in his 50s, says he likes to vote for the best candidate, not the party. 
but he's had a really hard time with President Donald Trump. Me and my little brother didn't break up because of Reagan or Bush, but me and my little brother broke up. Over the current? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, you ain't coming into my house. I can't look you in the eye. And, and, res so and respect you if, you if you respect that guy. It just... So I wanted to know, given how anti-Trump Sean Rocks is, does it matter if this Republican-led EPA ends up being the hero of Butte's Superfund saga? No, probably not. As long as they build the amphitheater and the parks and the lakes that they're going to do, and I'm still alive to enjoy them, hurry up, guys. <laughs> That's all I really care. I don't really uh, care about the political party of the EPA, to tell you the truth. And he says if everything being promised in the Superfund deal right now comes to fruition. Yeehaw, man, this town's going to rock. More than it already does. Then he went back to playing with his Evil Knievel stunt cycle toy. All right, here we go. Snake River Canyon. So there are the Kevin Cooks, who are skeptical of Trump trying to use Butte and turn all of the mining city's sacrifices into his political reward. And there are the Sean Roxes. We're stoked about all the extra perks the community is supposed to get in this new Superfund deal. But what I hear more than anything is that folks just want this long, painful chapter in Butte's story to be over and to move on. They want to Google their town and not see America's biggest Superfund site appear. They're tired of the cleanup and the burrs that stick to it. It's time to get the Superfund stigma off of all of our backs. Have we have a, a stigma that holds us back, and, and everyone talks about it. All the benefits and, and the advantages of our community are always lost in the conversation about this so-called Superfund stigma, and that's got to end. That last voice in the chorus is someone you might remember who's played a big role in all this. Yes, I'm John Sesso. I am the Superfund coordinator for Butte Silver Bow. I want to pull John directly into this conversation because he was also the state Democratic minority leader, and he knows a thing or two about Montana politics. And John pointed out that while Montana is envied for its pristine air and water, it's also the land of large-scale natural resource industries and their environmental fallout. There are actually around 200 state and federal Superfund sites scattered around our so-called treasure state. Yeah, it's, it's omnipresent. Which is why in Montana, for the most part, Superfund's a nonpartisan issue. I, I, I don't think that it matters whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. We just want to get this project done. So in Sessa's opinion, yeah, it's ironic that a Republican-led EPA is helping Butte, a diehard Democratic stronghold, move forward with its future, right when the agency is facing existential threats at the national level. But it's kind of irrelevant. It's the least of our, our, our concerns. We, we just want to get over the finish line and lock in this important decision so we have a roadmap and a blueprint for the good work that's going to come ahead. Now, what's in Butte's massive cleanup settlement and why is something we'll explore next time, because the devil is always in the details. But today... I want to focus on how it all went down. The, I don't know, they call it the perfect storm of the stars and the, the moon lining up. Uh, it, it, it was like we've talked about before, mounting pressure from the public aligned with some bold action from Governor Bullock. He agreed to get rid of the worst of the mine tailings buried near Buttes Creeks, which was a game changer and helped jumpstart the stalled out negotiations. But Sesso has toiled away on Superfund under Bush Sr., Clinton, 
Bush Jr., Obama, and now Trump. And he says there's one more critical factor. Not who's president, but who works for him. It was serendipitous. He comes right in at a time when there was maximum frustration, not only with the lack of progress, but the fact that uh, there was a community vision that was emerging that nobody seemed to be paying attention to. And he says, well, that's not how we run this railroad. Who is this dark horse, you ask? None other than a man named... Doug Benevento, uh, Regional Administrator, uh, EPA, Region 8. Benevento is a former utility executive and environmental regulator from Colorado, with a rather mild manner and gentle face, who frequently jokes about his height. Not exactly who springs to mind when I think Captain Planet, Superfund Superhero, or Cutthroat Dealmaker. But in 2017, Trump tapped him to lead EPA's work in the Rocky Mountains and Great Plains states. And when Benevento was ordered to fix a pair of the country's most intractable Superfund sites, he didn't bat an eyelash. I've given several talks where I've discussed Anaconda and Butte. And in those talks, I've noted that America went through World War I, the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, and fought and won World War II more quickly than we've managed to clean these sites up. I understand that Superfund is complicated, but so is World War II. His first month on the job, Benevento put on his cape, okay, a nice suit and reading glasses, flew in from Denver, and got to work navigating Butte's mess. He visited with concerned locals and listened to the Superfund parties, which are the EPA, the state, the county, and Atlantic Richfield. And what he heard was that in recent years, the parties in charge had actually found a lot of common ground about how to finish the cleanup and protect water quality. And... You know, what we need the most from the federal government is to move. Move on this stuff. Force the parties to come to an agreement. So Benevento basically turned to the umpteen engineers, lawyers, officials, and company executives and said, you will make a deal. Or else. In Superfund, the deal, or consent decree, is a negotiated settlement overseen by a federal judge that spells out exactly how all the parties will complete and finance the cleanup. It can go above and beyond what's required under Superfund law. That or else means the EPA could just order the parties to do the minimum basic remedy. So there were two very different possible outcomes. A big fancy deal or the bare minimum. Yeah, the consent decree is the much, much better way to go. Just a few months later, at the beginning of 2018, Benevento announced, modestly of course, that they'd done it. They'd gotten to a draft deal, which laid out the key terms of the agreement. So again, thank you very much, and I'll uh, hand over to Doug. Thanks. I mean, I'm not here to celebrate. You know, we, we've, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And, you know, it's a time to maybe step back and reflect that we've, we've hit a milestone. By he also said that EPA's new goal was to start deleting Butte from the Superfund national priorities list in just six years, by 2024. Teammates hold each other accountable. Now hold us accountable to this number. The deal was just a draft, so they still had some serious work to do. But it was a blueprint for what was ahead. From that point on, stuff started to happen fast. Well, fast by Superfund standards. Step by step, meeting after meeting, page after page, Benevento made sure the negotiating parties hashed out all the hairy legal and technical details and stayed on track. Those awaiting the final Superfund cleanup deal or consent decree for the Butte Hill and urban Silver Bow Creek Corridor. Reporting on it all on the ground in Butte, Nora Sachs reports. 
To me, the last couple of years have felt like an avalanche of mini Superfund breakthroughs just happening in slow motion. The Environmental Protection Agency announced that it has reached a historic agreement. The federal agency has given Butte a date for Montana's mining city inches closer and closer to having a final Superfund deal for their... Agreed on a final cleanup deal. Nora Sachs has more on this turning point in the mining You might think that after a 12-year stalemate, with all this flurry of action, Butte would be partying in the streets, as is the custom on so many occasions. But that was not the case. Remember, after a century or so of being dominated by powerful mining companies, then a few decades of being tagged as America's most toxic mess, Butte has some understandable trust issues. Many locals wondered if the federal government would really make good on its promise. Their responses tended to be a blend of what one Superfund activist described as cautious optimism, but healthy skepticism. Benevento heard the skeptics and reassured the community time and again that EPA carries a big stick, the authority to issue a cleanup order, and he wasn't afraid to use it. We're not going to let this process slide. We're not going to let this process turn into a joke. He also said he felt personal responsibility because if he didn't deliver a deal to his boss, Scott Pruitt, his job was on the line. Two months later, in July 2018... Afternoon, everyone. We're coming on the air now with some breaking news. Just learning from the president through a tweet that the EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, has resigned. Let's get right That's when I asked Doug Benevento how all the scandals and high-profile turnover at EPA's headquarters has affected the work and reputation of the agency at the regional level. Has it made it harder for you to accomplish your goals with that kind of leadership change? No. EPA is a very decentralized organization, and the regions is where the work gets implemented. And I can tell you that there, there was, I guess, an awareness, but people were focused on their job. And the fact that we had goals made a difference. You know, I thought we were making good pace before, um, but Administrator Wheeler's cattle prodded us to make sure that we're redoubling that effort. And he wasn't playing. Was Butte's consent decree all of a sudden on a glide path to the finish line? Nope. Did the parties blow through some ambitious but arbitrary deadlines EPA set along the way? Yep. But finally, last spring, EPA announced that they had given the dealmakers 135 days, 4.4 months, or until August 12, 2019, to get it done. The end was really in sight. Now, right when this clock started ticking, Doug Benevento got promoted all the way to deputy administrator the number two position at EPA, but he promised to keep the faith in Butte. Meanwhile, the Montana Folk Festival took over the town. Henri Ra, Butte's Irish festival came. And went. Finally, August 12th, the big day arrived. And still, no deal. Birds started flying south. Nights in the Rockies got colder. My hair got a little grayer. Everyone needed just a little more time to finish up the fine print. Then, all of a sudden, on an average Thursday in mid-October, in a curt email with zero fanfare, it happened. The pens were down. The ink was dry. The deal was done.
It was great news today for the residents of Butte. Decades of negotiations have finally come to an end. It's a final agreement on the Superfund consent decree. By the time the final deal was unveiled to the public, in all of its 1,100-page glory, Butte was a snow globe, and Cupid was taking an arrow from his quiver. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us here today. In I'm February, at a formal ceremony inside a grand old hotel, Butte's chief executive, Dave Palmer, stepped up to the podium, already ready for what comes next. My quote for the day would be, welcome to the beginning of Butte's future in the post-Superfund era. So it wasn't President Trump who waved his magic wand and made Butte's Superfund wish come true. It took hard work, tough negotiations, and compromises by a lot of people and parties. And Doug Benevento happened to be the right guy in the right place at the right time. As the mining city embraces one of the last chapters in its epic Superfund story, let's go back to Washington, D.C. and find out what this means for Trump's EPA politically. Will Butte be a copper feather in their Superfund cap? Hello, this is Administrator Wheeler. We'll hear directly from Le Grand Fromage himself after this short break. Richest Hill is supported by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Family owned, operated, and argued over since 1980. Proud supporter of independent thought, whether it's online, over the air, or in a bottle. More at SierraNevada.com. Hello, this is Administrator Wheeler. Hi, Administrator Wheeler. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you, Nora? That's the EPA's new sheriff in town, calling us long distance in May from EPA's federal headquarters on Pennsylvania Avenue, two time zones east. According to the Journal News in Butler County, Ohio, where he's originally from, Andrew Wheeler is an Eagle Scout. He's hiked Mount Kilimanjaro, and he loves Cincinnati chili. This is Gold Star Chili, pure Cincinnati and proud of it. Wheeler's first job right out of law school was actually at the EPA back in the 1990s, working in the Pollution Prevention and Toxics Office during the Bush Senior Administration. Good morning, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Carper. After Scott Pruitt resigned in that haze of scandals, Wheeler was chosen to replace him. I'm honored and grateful that President Trump has nominated me for the position of administrator. And yet, at his confirmation hearing in early 2019, large crowds of pissed off protesters showed up, chanting, Please restore order in the committee room. Why so much resistance? Perhaps it's because Wheeler spent 12 years on Capitol Hill as a staffer for Oklahoma Senator James Inhofe. It's a snowball. Who once held up a snowball on the Senate floor as proof that climate change is a hoax. Very unseasonal, so here, Mr. President, catch this. Not to mention the last decade with a private law firm, lobbying on behalf of clients like Murray Energy, one of the nation's largest coal companies. First of all, I do want to just correct one thing, and my staff is laughing at me right now. I do want to correct one thing. I, I was an energy and environment consultant, and I had over 20 different clients. I represented a solar panel company. I represented the nuclear industry. I represented a, um, a, a couple of food companies. A coal client was just one of my clients, but a lot of... Um, 
A lot of people for political reasons here in Washington, D.C. try to paint me as a former coal lobbyist when I was actually in energy and environment. Moving on, since I've been reporting on and living Butte's Superfund journey for the last couple of years, I was really curious about the agency's agenda and infatuation with hazardous waste. So um, since we only have a half hour and there's so much we want to cover with you, are you guys ready to get started? Sure. Can you hear me all right? Is this connection okay? So we got right into it. Basically, Wheeler stayed on message, repeating that the EPA is turning 50 this year, and they're all about getting back to the roots of the agency, which means... Well, what I mean by that is we need to focus on the pollutants and the pollution and the environmental indicators that impact communities around the country. And I'm really focused on the community level, getting it back to basics, making sure the American people know what we're doing to improve their lives. At face value, there's nothing inherently alarming about that statement. But I found his silence on addressing the greatest ecological threats of our time, like climate change, deafening. Our producer Nick jumped in to ask exactly how the EPA's attempts to unravel backbone environmental protections serves even their vintage mission. The New York Times published recently that article listing about 100 environmental rules that have been rolled back or in the process of being rolled back. And, you know, a bunch of them were from the EPA. How does that fit into getting back to the basics? Well, you know, a rollback or deregulation isn't necessarily doing away with the regulation. Oftentimes it's replacing or modernizing. Wheeler argued that technically, it was the federal courts that stopped some policies like Obama's clean power plan, after dozens of states sued over them. So those don't count. You can't really roll back a regulation if it never took effect. Of course, different states are now challenging the weaker measures enacted by the Trump administration, putting his new rules in pretty much the same kind of legal limbo. Semantics aside, I get Administrator Wheeler's main point, that regulatory reform isn't intrinsically evil. There are pros and cons to streamlining individual rules and regulations. Nuance is important and all that, but reflecting back on our conversation, I keep thinking about how easy it is for the parts to obscure the whole. And when you step back and look at the Trump EPA's actions as a whole, a clear pattern emerges. The lion's share of the rollbacks completed or underway have to do with air pollution, emissions, drilling, and extraction. The upshot is that the fossil fuel industry and the economy will benefit, but our environment won't. One thing that hasn't gone under the rollback knife, however, is our topic du jour, Superfund. We're really focusing on cleaning up some of these sites that have been lingering on the Superfund list for decades, literally decades, and trying to make sure that communities have clean air, clean water, and that the land and the industrial pollution that they have been living with um, gets cleaned up. To get sites moving forward faster, Wheeler says he's refining the hit list of two dozen or so sites out of 1,300 plus total that his predecessor, Scott Pruitt, created. We're looking at sites that are representative of other sites so that when we get those problems solved on the administrator's emphasis list, it will hopefully solve similar problems at other sites around the country. I didn't get a chance to press him on this, but to me, that sounds like wishful thinking. Just because the EPA figures out how to deal with PCBs in the Willamette River or lead in East Chicago doesn't mean they all of a sudden have the resources to do that everywhere. Regardless, Wheeler says Montana's historic copper mining and smelting titans, Butte and Anaconda, have remained priorities for the agency. And thanks to their dedicated efforts, Anaconda is now on the cusp of a definitive cleanup deal, and Butte's is in the bag. 
And I think it will be a very important milestone because this site has sat there for so long and we're talking about waste that's you know, over 100 years old, that it's, it's important for us to, to get this agreement on how it's going to be cleaned up, move forward, and then get it done for the people who live there. Wheeler says it's not only sites on his emphasis list where EPA is making substantial progress. So we wanted to reinvigorate and re-energize the program and get more sites cleaned up, and we have. You know, last year, we deleted all or part of 27 sites from the national priority list, the most since 2001 in one calendar year. Superfund sites only get deleted once the EPA determines that all cleanup goals have been achieved. And we'll circle back to using that as a measure of success. At the bottom of everything, though, what I've really wanted to know is how this EPA plans to do more with a whole lot less. In the most recent proposed budget, fiscal year 2021, President Trump requested a 26% budget cut to EPA as a whole, more than $100 million or about 10% cut to the Superfund program itself, and an attempt to reduce the workforce to a level really not seen since the 80s. So how do you plan to meet your stated goal of accelerating cleanups with less funding and fewer staff? Well, we are meeting it with um, fewer staff, and we've, we've accelerated the cleanups over the last few years, and we, have, we are accomplishing a lot um, with, with fewer staff. Administrator Wheeler did a lot of this, you know, we had making to, fuzzy, unsubstantiated claims, or going into extensive detail on one example, not really answering their original question. Anyways, he says as far as funding is concerned... The entire federal government needs to tighten its belt more. Um, we need to do uh, more with less resources. Except they haven't. In general, the amount Congress doles out to the EPA for Superfund has declined since the late 1990s, after the original polluter pays tax expired. That's in constant dollars. In recent years, however, it's been pretty steady. No matter how much President Trump asks for, Congress has held the line and appropriated around $1.1 billion annually. But just because the funding is flat doesn't mean it's enough. Wheeler says to increase resources available to clean up Superfund sites. We have been more aggressively going after, uh, through our enforcement actions, PRPs. That means potentially responsible parties. To get them to um, pay for, for more of the sites. Leading experts point out that strategy won't help orphan sites, where there is no viable polluter to foot the bill. And say that at current funding levels... The EPA doesn't have enough money in its kitty to take over cleanups, so it's not a credible threat. This all caught my attention because in Butte, the corporation retroactively on the hook for the mining cleanup is Atlantic Richfield, an oil company now owned by British energy giant BP. According to Inside Climate News, BP donated half a million dollars to Trump's inauguration. Since the Trump administration has been so friendly to the fossil fuel industry, I asked what the administrator would tell my neighbors who are worried the EPA won't require a tough cleanup. Oh, that's just ridiculous. I mean, we're, we're, basing, we're basing the work of uh, the Butte site on the environmental indicators to make sure that the contamination is removed. He added that the state of Montana fully supports the Superfund deal. And rather than letting BP or Atlantic Richfield off easy in Butte... You know, we've gotten them to step up and agree to um, speed up the cleanup of these sites, and we're working with them to get that done.
Having the chance to speak directly with Administrator Wheeler was unsettling. He comes off as a decent enough guy who can't wait to visit Glacier National Park and isn't out to get the planet. His neighborly Midwestern demeanor temporarily distracted me from the fact that he's now in charge of regulating the polluting industries he staunchly defended. But it's not just Wheeler or Pruitt who have these major conflicts of interest. According to an analysis done by the Associated Press, almost half of Trump's political appointees at the Environmental Protection Agency have strong industry ties. Critics have likened it to a hostile takeover, or hiring a fox to guard the hen house. This is how Jeremy Simons with the Environmental Defense Fund put it on CNN. President Trump was very clear. He came in with trying to take a wrecking ball to the EPA, and Scott Pruitt was his man for the job. I think round two, they're looking for someone to do the same thing, but to do it smarter, do it quieter, and stay out of the news. And that's Andrew Wheeler. Still, no matter who's at the steering wheel, the Trump EPA has continued to be gung-ho on Superfund. To help sort out the ratio of signal to noise, I dialed up independent consultant Kate Probst, who lives in Northern Virginia, but ventured to NPR's D.C. headquarters for our chat. So who are you? Who am I? That's a good question. Uh, My name is Kate Probst. I've been working on the Superfund program for way too long. I think I started, when did I start working on Superfund? Maybe in the late 1980s. Profs is one of a handful of authorities on this hazardous waste program. While many environmental policy analysts have pivoted to sexier issues like climate change, she's still writing wonky books and reports, testifying in front of Congress, and appearing on C-SPAN. There are very few people paying attention to Superfund, so that allowed me to have more of a voice. Right off the bat, I asked Probst why she thinks the Trump EPA has elevated Superfund as a priority and where it fits into the rest of their environmental doctrine. My hypothesis is that there are two things about the Superfund program that are pretty unique in the EPA firmament. A lot of rules, like the Clean Air and Clean Water Acts, require polluters to meet certain standards and are somewhat black and white. But Superfund is a totally different animal. It's retroactive, it's risk-based, and most importantly, it's a cleanup program, not a regulatory program. So you can be a deregulatory administration and still think Superfund is okay. And echoing our local expert, John Sesso, hazardous waste knows no political boundaries. Whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, if you're a local official and you have a Superfund site in your district, you want it cleaned up. Despite how unusual Superfund is, Probe says the program has been mostly ignored and underfunded for a long time, basically since the early 2000s. So in one sense, it's a credit that the Trump administration is paying attention. But the question then is, what kind of attention are they paying? Are they actually trying to make the program better, faster, more efficient? That's really hard to quantify, because another age-old challenge with Superfund is that there's very little congressional oversight and a huge lack of data and analysis across the board. There are all kinds of reasons cleanups can be delayed, and everyone wants to speed them up. And ideally, a new administration coming in and saying, hey, we want to improve this program, would look at the factors that are causing these problems. That hasn't happened. Instead of focusing on systemic solutions, as we've discussed, Trump's EPA is concentrating on fast-tracking a few dozen hand-picked sites. She acknowledges they actually picked some extraordinarily difficult sites. But when it comes down to it, Probst is a numbers person. And with over 1,300 sites on the national priorities list, 
She argues that addressing 21 sites is not really a very successful program. Administrator Wheeler did underline that EPA has made headway at Superfund sites on and off his special list and is crossing them off the nation's who's who of most toxic sites one by one. We deleted all or part of 27 sites from the national priority list, the most since 2001 in one calendar year. But former EPA officials, who are angry with the direction the agency's headed, assert that deleting sites is the very tail end of a years to sometimes decades long process, more of a paperwork exercise than anything, a sneaky way to take credit for work done in the past. Probe says since she's not a bureaucrat, she doesn't know the ins and outs of what deleting a site entails. But once again, the numbers are petite, a tiny, tiny fraction of a staggering whole. Is it good to get them off the national parties list? Yes. Does that suggest a major effort to make the program more effective? No. Ultimately, she says, the budget is where the agency puts its money where its mouth is. And even though Congress is holding the line on funding, the EPA keeps asking for draconian cuts. While no one has sat down and estimated what it would cost to complete all the cleanups, since Propes herself did it back in 2001, Given the backlog of sites and the immense workload. If this was really a priority for the administration, one would think that they would certainly not cut funds and they might actually increase funding for the program. To bring it back home, I asked Kate what getting to a final cleanup deal in Butte, one of the most complex legacy industrial sites out there, might mean for the Trump administration in terms of bragging rights. Like, can they point to this as a significant accomplishment? What do you think about that? Probe says she's not familiar with the nitty-gritty details of our Superfund mining megasite. But if it's obvious which parties are responsible, and there was still no deal for years on end... And they brute-forced and said, okay, we're going to do this, and they made it happen, yes, they can brag about that. But it's one site. After chatting with EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler and independent Superfund analyst Kate Probst, it seems clear to me that compared to all the other primordial toxic sites across the country, Butte is pretty darn lucky. The Superfund exception, it turns out, not the rule. We're on an elite list, getting special attention from senior EPA management, and one of the world's largest energy companies is bankrolling the multi-million dollar cleanup bill. So the federal government and us taxpayers don't have to, no matter what happens in Washington. Leaving D.C. politics behind, what does this cleanup deal actually mean for us denizens of Butte? We're preparing to make the most monumental decision to ever affect the future of our great city. And what's it like to make a forever decision with forever consequences, right when planet Earth decides to throw a giant infectious curveball? The U.S. has the world's highest number of COVID-19 infections and reported deaths. We'll tackle that and more next time on Richest Hill. Thanks so much for listening. Richest Hill is a production of Montana Public Radio. Nora Sachs is our host and reporter. I'm Nick Mott, our producer. Eric Whitney is our executive producer. Josh Burnham is our digital editor. Our theme music is by Dublin Gulch. Other original music composed and performed by Jonas Benetta and Oren Pearson. 
Special thanks to Andrew Wheeler, Kate Probst, Doug Benevento, Gregory Sopkin, Andrew Mutter, Chris Wardell, John Sesso, Kevin Cook, Sean Rocks Hoskins, Clark Grant and KBMF LP Butte, Judy Sachs, Dave Palmer, Patrick Holmes, Dan Villa, Brendan McDonough, David McCumber, the Restore Our Creek Coalition, the Citizens Technical Environmental Committee, and NPR's Story Lab. Check out show notes or our website for source material from this episode, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay up to date at ButtePodcast.org.